listening to the Stressed But Well-Dressed podcast. It's the podcast that talks about the reality of the corporate world with both humour and honesty. We'll share some great experiences that will help you reflect on what you want from your own career and some brilliant hints and tips to help you get there. We've got some amazing speakers with a wealth of experience in a variety of industries. We will always start with some comedy and think about the highs and the lows that have helped us along the catwalk of our career. And we will finish with some great advice for you to take away. Why stressed but well dressed? We all have our own unique way of showing up to work and the way we present ourselves is part of how we show who we are. Never underestimate the power that you can have in helping you be you and know that your version of well-dressed is your confidence builder to help alleviate the stress. So what's the link between feeling stressed and the way we dress? Did you know that clothing can directly impact our psychological status and our performance? We attach a symbolic meaning to the clothes in our wardrobe and the persona they help us adopt. An item of clothing can invoke a certain psychologic state because of the symbolism that we attach to it. You might feel corporate in a suit, sporty in athleisure or festive in sequins. What we choose to wear influences our mood and our performance. This is called enclosed cognition and has been researched by Dr Adam Galinsky and his colleagues Joe Adam and Joshua Margolis at Northwestern University. The research looks not only at the symbolic meaning of clothing, but how people use clothing to self-reflect and to uplift their mood to increase their positivity. This creates our own way of feeling well-dressed. We are directly aiming to alleviate our stress, whether we realise it or not. Welcome to Stressed But Well Dressed. Today we're joined by Gabby Rosenberg from Seven Search and Selection and we're going to be talking about interviews. So welcome Gabby. Hello Dahlia. So before we start Mm -hmm. I always ask people to share an embarrassing fashion moment or an embarrassing moment this time with interviews. So I started my career at Marks and Spencers. I did a placement year first of all before we going back on the graduate scheme on and on the very first day of my placement when I was oh I must have been about 21 walked in on the first day and the personnel director I was wearing a very smart trouser suit I was very proud of myself and did you feel good and I felt great and I felt ready to embark on my placement and it was a really smart suit she said mm, I think you should be wearing a skirt rather than trousers would you like to go home and get changed <gasps> And at first, my breath was a bit taken away, but it's probably why I never carried on at Marks and Spencers for a very long time, because I said, I don't think that's appropriate, and I feel really smart, and I feel like it's an appropriate outfit to wear, so I'm not going to go home and get changed, which wasn't really probably the way I should have, especially at that time, you had to be very sort of... um, uh, I suppose um, I wasn't rude I was respectful to her but I was standing my ground and I was not putting a skirt on because she didn't think it was appropriate for women to not be wearing a skirt. How did you feel the rest of the day wearing the trouser suit after you felt so great coming in and, and then it was suggested that you changed? I was feeling sick that I'd almost answered back a director on my first day. So it didn't I set you up I was feeling sick however I thought no stand by your convictions we're living in a modern world and I don't think I ever wore a skirt. 
on purpose that I would wear trousers. I, I love that determination. <laughs> yeah. So I actually haven't shared yet an embarrassing fashion story on the podcast, but I felt like this mm-hmm. this was the episode to do it. Um, and I have a very embarrassing fashion interview story. Uh, when I was applying for grad schemes, it was very much um, the the idea was that you wore a suit, probably mm-hmm. similar, yeah. um, to go to interviews. And I, I actually had a skirt suit. <laughs> and I had what I thought were appropriate footwear for an interview, which was my highest Sarah Heels um, and I, I went to an interview um, somewhere and uh, we had the interview and then we, we had to move it must have been an assessment centre to another part of the building and climb a really really tall staircase and as we got to the top of the staircase one of my shoes fell off right to the bottom the whole way down the the worst part was that the person who was interviewing me didn't notice so I had to stop him explain to him that my shoe had fallen off oh, and then no. he didn't volunteer to get it so then I walked down the Were staircase with down? one shoe on one shoe off to retrieve yeah. it and and after that the interview was done for me yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so always wear comfy shoes is my motto mm-hmm. uh, especially in an environment where you yes. might feel slightly less comfortable Definitely. like an interview and um, so before we, we get into kind of a, a bit more around interviews and how people set them up for success how do you want to tell us a bit around what you do at seven yep so I'm one of the founders of Seven Search and Selection. We are just coming to the end of our 22nd year, so we've been doing it quite a long time. And we are a consumer sector specialist recruiter. So we um, recruit across the entire consumer industry from the um, sourcing and manufacture of the products all the way through to the sales and marketing to the retailers, the retailers themselves and how they buy the product and then market it, market it to us as consumers, and also all the other um, elements that we um, can access products as consumers, whether that's leisure, hospitality, um, travel, all of those different avenues. Um, I'd say our uh, main areas that we focus on recruitment is within um, anything that touches on that customer and product, but we do, because of the um, length and depth of our relationships, we have about, I think, 98% repeat business. We do get asked um, quite often from clients to say, look, you really get our culture. Can you find me this HR person or this finance person? And we go, yeah, we understand you. We understand what HR is. We'll find you somebody who's going to um, meet the um, the needs of the individual that, that you're looking for. We are very values-based. We don't operate like a traditional recruiter. Um, and when we actually interview recruiters from other recruitment companies, they are often quite surprised. We are not a bums on seats, aggressive culture. We reward predominantly on behaviours. Um, and for us, it's all about building long-standing relationships. And we work with lots of really um, recognisable names out there. And it's a really fun industry to be a part of as well. Yeah, I mean, no two FMCG days are the is same. brilliant. No, no two days are the same. And what I love and why I love doing my job is that I came... I did a degree that taught you to either work in retail or FMCG and then chose to work in retail. I decided I didn't want to work in retail and even though I'm not physically doing it, I'm talking to people in the industry all day long, every day. And it's just a really interesting, interesting role that um, we take. People and your network is is invaluable really mm-hmm. in, in terms of, of getting energy and, and joy from what you do. It's, yeah. it's all about working with people. Yeah. So you are talking to people all the time who are either looking for a role or recruiting for a role. Yes. How do you recommend people set themselves up for success for an interview? So I think the key word is preparation. 
And you can really see when people are prepped and when they're not prepped. And when I talk to candidates, it doesn't matter what level they are, I always have a prep call with them because there's lots of different things to consider. Yes, there's the normal stand standard things. Look at their website, Google the news about them, search their competitors. Um, but um, often people don't think to go into an outlet, to go into competitors' outlets, to look at, you know, if it's for a specific brand, to really get under the skin of what their competitors are doing, to understand where they sit in the marketplace. Even, um, you know, if it was, say, um, going into perhaps the food service or leisure industry, I'd go, go and experience some of the end users so that you're getting the whole brand experience. Um, also preparing around their values, culture, missions. I ask people to prepare around the competence, competences sorry, and key skills that are on a job spec. And those key words, it might not be pulled out as a competence, but those key words so that you've prepared your best examples. Because when you're in an interview, you will be asked a question. You only get one shot at giving your best leadership example and being put on the spot and not being prepared. You might not give the best example. You'll give an example, but not the best example. And then there's all the other preparation around the logistics, planning the time to actually do the preparation. Yeah, which takes time which in take, itself. Which takes time. Then making sure, you know, linking it back to what are you wearing, you know, all of that. Now, it depends on the level of the person as well and their experience, whether I go, you know, what are you planning to wear? But if we're working with somebody who's quite inexperienced or has only ever been through a graduate process and is this, they're now moving to their second employer, they're not necessarily experienced at how that's different to a graduate process and how they need to do a different type of preparation. And do you think what you wear is important in an interview? I think it's important to not make it important. Okay. If that makes sense. Do you want to expand yeah. on that? So we get people asking, what do I wear? What do I wear? And it's really tricky because the words smart casual, If even if I was going to a... Um, an event outside of work no one knows said what it means sure. yeah. I'll ring my friend and go are you wearing a skirt are you wearing a dress are you wearing trousers do you think we can wear jeans it's that same thing that that you're going through you just don't know but I would always recommend um, and I would give the advice to somebody so if it was somebody who was male I would say with this client if you have very smart jeans with a shirt and a blazer you you could and actually you'd be more fitting to be wearing that or it could be a client where you need to wear a, part, a pair of smart trousers and it's really difficult you need to mirror what they're wearing but you've never met them their expectation and their understanding of what smart casual is because some people would be offended by somebody wearing jeans or trainers they would be so it's a real tricky one um and if we don't know i would always err on the side of caution do you think you can ask if, if you're going for an interview in an organisation and you're not really sure about the culture, you're not sure about the dress code, is it okay to say what is the dress code mm. for the interview? So I have that, um, lots of people ring ring. And if it's like a brand new client that I don't know, I will often ring and they'll say, where, 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 where what's ever comfortable? Well, I'm not giving that advice because <laughs> you're not going to turn up in a tracksuit. Um, so I just think you need to be nothing nothing inoffensive something very um, neutral it isn't necessarily the thing that's going to show off your personality in that first interview once you've met them and you've got a bit of the lay of the land and you're invited back for a second interview that's different although nowadays most first interviews are done over teams so you get a bit of an insight and you can just put 
a smarter top layer on. You could be in your pyjama bottoms for all anybody <laughs> knows, having that interview. Do you think, from a headspace perspective, the fact that most interviews are now virtual in the first mm. round changes things? Yeah, I think it's really hard, the virtual interview, because for a number of reasons. To it, First of all, most um, teams in, or virtual interviews, you go straight into it. There's none of the walking from reception to the room, having a bit of that informal chat. It's straight in. And I think that's the culture that we're now in, that people go from one team's meeting to another and they have no space. So they haven't got that time to to put people at ease. So you've got to be prepared to be straight in with those questions. It's harder to build rapport. It's it's really harder to make to make an impression. I've found that and, and I, I had a, a really interesting Teams interview um, quite a, a while ago, a, kind of a year over a year ago now, um, that lasted 37 minutes and, and someone came on the, the call, they asked me a million questions and, and then literally we signed off and, and they didn't even ask me where in the world I was um, and then afterwards <laughs> I got glowing feedback and I thought, but there was nothing there, yeah, there was nothing no there. Substance. Yeah. It's really hard, like you said, to build the rapport, but also for the candidate, it's hard to get a feel of the culture when you're not really walking is. in the door. And, you know, I often say to candidates in an interview, it's a two-way process at that first stage. It is you, you know, finding out if you like them as much as them finding out if they like you. But it is hard virtually. And I like what you said there about mirroring the interviewer in terms of, of how you show up, how you dress. Um, I had a really great example of someone who went for an interview in a design agency and it was um, quite a trendy agency mm. and interview mindset, they wore a suit and a suit was actually really uncomfortable for them. They got the job, but then for the next 10 years of working there, the joke was, do you remember when so-and-so yes. came in wearing a suit yeah. for the interview? Because mm. no one had ever seen anyone come through the door in yeah. a suit before. So actually, they felt less comfortable than if they'd have gone in the jeans and T-shirt. Yeah. But sometimes it is just the question yeah. of kind of, and what does it look like? nobody wears a suit anymore. Nobody. Um, and we had, in fact, sorry, we have one client where you have to wear a suit and you have to have shiny shoes and all of that sort of thing. But, but nobody has that anymore. Talking about interviews, and you've talked a bit around kind of showing who you are, there's so much talk at the moment about being yourself. Mm. Um, and I think sometimes there can be that balance between sharing enough so that people can understand who you are. And, and we talk mm. a lot on this podcast about identity and your personal brand. But what's the tipping point between sharing and oversharing? Yeah. So I think in an interview, I would recommend that you are honest, you are genuine and you are authentic but you are professional. You do have to share things. You know, there can be circumstances of why you've moved jobs that are delicate and you need to position it in a professional way, but an honest way. You know, we've all left jobs because we don't like our boss. It's a fact. And I often speak to people and they give me one reason why they're leaving, why they want to leave their employer. But over a period of time, I get to really understand the reasons why. And they might hate their boss. They might don't like the culture of the team that they're in, not the company, but the team. And they're miserable going to work because they're not with people who they want to be around. And we spend more time at work than anywhere else. So it's really important that that's right. However, you have to position that in a way that is balanced. Another thing that's really common that we see and um, is that people are asked to do a presentation. And they'll often start with a slide or finish with a slide. Here's a bit about about me and they'll put pictures. So this candidate had done a fantastic presentation, all really done well. And they were thinking, yep, you're great. Last slide, here's a few pictures that show what I like to do in my spare time. 
the whole slide was bikini shots. <laughs> bikini shots, because she loves going on holiday and being on the beach and going to beach clubs, which is fine, but not really appropriate and professional in a work environment. So you've got to, to balance the sharing with remembering this is my work. It's not I'm joining a, a social activity and I'm wanting to tell everybody who I am and I love doing all of these things. But you do need to be authentic about who you are. I, I think that, in a way, is your USP when you mm. get it right. It's who, who you are and, and what value you can add. And, and that point you made there about working for people who you, you really gel with was really interesting mm. because... Often you can work in an organisation where the culture is great, but you might have a manager that doesn't necessarily reflect that culture mm. and therefore the team culture feels different. And if that microcosm that you're working in doesn't feel like it reflects the company culture, that, that can be quite challenging. Yeah. Uh, and I saw an, a, a really interesting stat that actually your manager has a greater impact on your mental health because of what you said, yeah. how much time we spend at work versus many of the other influences in yeah. your life. So that piece around making sure that you feel like you're supported at work um, and that you're in a culture where you're recognised and valued and, and you've got the ability to thrive as well. Mm. So important. So actually, you're right. If you phrase it right, I think that that can be a really valid reason for wanting to explore a new yes. opportunity. We've talked a little bit around how do you mirror the interviewer in terms of how you show up. But I think you said as well that first interview is really an opportunity for the candidate mm. as much as it is for the interviewer. What advice do you give candidates in terms of asking the right questions to understand how they can kind of perceive the, the company, the culture, and whether they think on reflection after that interview, do I still want that job? So people will ask a, a question about a culture and you can just almost get the, this is our culture and that sort of standard answer. And it's, it's not really answering your question, but it's giving my viewpoint on culture. I'm sure. in a pretty unique position. I will be speaking to people, there might be a client, and I'm, speak to, I'm hearing what they're telling me about the culture. I also will have candidates who I've maybe placed in that business who can also tell me about the culture. I will also have people getting in touch with me who want to leave that business. Now, they might be wanting to leave not because they don't like the culture. It could be they want to relocate to be with somebody. They could, you know, a whole host of reasons. So I'm getting an insight into the culture from that. I'm also getting the people who are not happy who want to leave. And it gives me a really balanced, true view of what that culture is like because I'm not hearing it. It's very difficult. Tell me about your culture. Of course, you're just going to talk about all those values and all of those things that are, I don't know, sent from the top, well, up, down and across and across the business. But does it give you a really true view? I don't think so. It, it's just words. So I often um, will tell candidates the warts and all. Obviously, I'm not talking about individuals, but I've I want, to I want to place people in businesses who are going to thrive and be happy. So if you are somebody who likes to be, you know, people will maybe say, I want to be in a really entrepreneurial environment. And then I'll ask them some questions and I'll think, actually, you don't, you don't like owning it and making decisions. But a client could be telling me they're really entrepreneurial, but I could have people telling me, actually, everything has to be signed off. They're not really entrepreneurial. <laughs> so it's We've my heard that job. Word before. Yeah, my job is to match all of these bits really join up the dots so that the person that I'm placing is going to be that good fit with the culture, the, the actual real life culture, not the published culture. I, th I think that point around 
what culture actually is enacted, what values are brought mm. to life, what are the behaviours, not not what is the policy or what yes. is externalised, but how does it ring true mm. in terms of leadership behaviours um, is fascinating. And yeah. I've done lots of research around how do you truly bring those values to life in an organisation? And it has to cut right through, yeah. doesn't it? Um, and people have to really feel a, a part of that. And that, that comes with belonging, actually, Absolutely. as well. as You do feel, in, in and I have worked in organisations where I felt a massive sense mm. of belonging because of that, because the values ring true and how you operate in the everyday yeah. and, and they're reflected and it feels like a really good place to work and I actually listened to a really interesting podcast um, that talked about the fact that you should recruit not for the culture you've got but for the culture you mm. want to create yeah. and, and that's an, an interesting concept as well it's actually where do you want to take the business and how do you recruit people who will take the business yeah. on that journey and it is so tricky we have um, I, get a, I get a lot of briefs like that we've got all of this and we don't want that we want this but when it actually comes down to it... They don't want that. They're scared to do that. <laughs> and I'm like, but you wanted this. Oh, but we think there may be too much this. And I'm like, well, you're either that or you're this. So, you know, and it's it's the being brave. It's, it's been courageous, it's courageous to, it to step into a new space. And, and actually for recruiting managers, sometimes that can be really scary mm. because you, you may be then moving into a space where you're recruiting people who might challenge some of your own ways of doing mm. or thinking for, for the good, for creating diversity of thought, for doing things differently, for innovating. But that could be quite threatening to a person. Yeah. So it's very easy to recruit people who speak like you, who look like mm. you, who will do as you want them to um, and not necessarily change the status quo. Mm. And that can be quite a safety net, can't yeah. it? I see that a lot. Um, but actually, it really turning a dial in the business is, is bringing in that innovative thought mm. and thinking. Yeah, no, definitely agree with that. So... Some people obviously will be thinking about moving into a new role and understanding what's going on in the market, but there'll be some people sat listening to this who might be very comfortable mm. in their role. What advice do you give people in terms of when, to, when do you start thinking yeah. about a new role? It, should you always have one finger on the pulse? So, roles that are right for you are never necessarily there when you're actively looking. And I would, if I had to put a percentage on it, I would say 80% of the people I place are tentative they're not active job browsers and my advice to anybody is to keep your eye out not you're not active and that's absolutely fine you don't hate your job you're enjoying it you are you've got a career plan you've got a development plan you've got all of those things but unfortunately life doesn't work like that buses don't work like that you could be you know and they can all come at the wrong time but it could be your perfect opportunity I've, I've, been, I've recruited a number of really interesting roles this year that are not a shoehorn, you know, in terms of you're a buyer for cheese, come and be a buyer for cheese. They've been more around taking a skill set and applying it to something different, which is a, a really interesting jobs. And um, a lot of people I've spoken to or um, have been a bit, oh, it's maybe not the right time, but in eight months, in, 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 sorry, in 12 months, I'll be interested. I'm like, this job won't be here in 12 months. I've got to be honest with you. They don't, this doesn't come up all the time. And it's difficult, but you've almost got to keep an open mind and be open to having those conversations. And people like me, or I don't, if somebody's interested, I don't mind. It doesn't matter. If, you, if it is right for you and you are interested, that's great. If it isn't, it doesn't matter. I'm not, not going to ring you about other things. Timing isn't the right time. And we've had, gosh, I, years ago, in fact, in the first year of seven, so 22 years ago, I had a client um, on the coast, miles and miles away from anywhere. And we were building a buying function for them. And it was really tricky. They'd gone from being family owned, they were now 
VC owned and they, they were really professionalizing the business. And it was the days before LinkedIn and all of these things and all the tools that we have now. Over three years, I built this buying function for them. But there was people I spoke to in the very beginning who it wasn't the right time. But then a role might have come up that might have been right 18 months later. I still got back in touch with them. And actually, over that period of time, it did become the right time. But if they had never given the time to talk to me and find out about it, they would never have known. And it's that. And yes, it is annoying. And I can, can only speak for myself. I can't speak for other recruiters. I would recommend having those conversations and finding out a bit a bit more. I think it goes back to network, doesn't it? Have you got the right recruiters in your network and and do you understand what's going on? I remember um, working at Asda, actually, we had a a mentor group that was brilliant uh, and it was run by a VP and we'd all been at Asda, um, some people have been at Asda kind of 15, 20 years in the group and we sat around a table in the first session and she said to us, how many of you have been for an external interview in the last year? No one put their hand up because obviously no no yeah. one wants to look like they're thinking about a career yeah. elsewhere. And she was gobsmacked, the VP. She said, why not? How are you keeping yourself relevant yeah. in the market and relevant for Asda if you don't understand what's out there and you're not stretching yourself and bettering oh. yourself? And I loved that perspective because I, I just thought, actually, it's so easy to transition through a company uh, build your career but never have an interview um, because a lot of it is done through tap on the shoulder mm. or through restructures and 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 then suddenly when you get to interview point you, you're not ready and yeah. it's it's really alarming that you've got to go through this formal process and also there is so much of we met somebody 18 months ago they weren't quite right then but something has come up that they might be right for can you get back in touch with them lots of that sort of thing happens people that well that's with good interviewers who are you know, remembering the person, following the process and being genuine with it. I wouldn't say everybody's like that, unfortunately. I think it's really difficult. I started at MS and loads of people that I was working with had been there for 20, 30, 40 years. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I knew straight away it wasn't for me. That's how things used to be. And companies' retention policies are to keep you on this conveyor belt of regular promotions and you feel like your career goals are being delivered on. because of the communication you're getting from your employer but actually you have to have the ownership for your career you've got to take it where you want to take it and if that if that's what you want to do that's absolutely fine but sometimes getting that breadth and diversity of experience will actually springboard your career to something completely different it's the transferable skills piece as well recognizing that just because like you said you've been the cheese buyer or you've done something doesn't mean that you can't take those skills and apply them to something totally different and really enjoy it as well and learn something from it so so you mentioned that linkedin Mm -hmm. linkedin obviously is a huge market for recruiters lots of people open to work how do you put your best foot forward in that space it's very crowded it's very difficult it's um it's a great tool it really is and a lot of companies don't think oh we don't need to use recruiters because we can just use linkedin but with linkedin there's no personal relationship there's no understanding the how somebody does something it's just the what that's on their cv it's really anonymous you apply for a job you never hear anything um or you might have a a message and then never hear anything oh, from it. Oh, there's 3,000 applicants and for the role. And there's 3,000 applicants <laughs> because it's too easy to, to... You just click. It's one click and I've applied for a job. Um, so, look, we love LinkedIn. It's a great tool. I think that 
with everybody. There is LinkedIn message fatigue. People receive so many messages and it's really difficult to cut through what is actually relevant and what isn't relevant. I don't really know the answer to that because I'm like, well, all my messages are relevant. Of course I think all my messages are relevant, but to some people they might not be. I can have that perception, but other people might not think some of my, some of my messages are. But for us as a business, we've got a database from 22 years that has got a whole wealth of information that LinkedIn doesn't have. And everything we do is on our database. And that wealth of information is invaluable to us. And we've tracked people's career histories and salaries and every conversation is recorded and it's gold dust information and all personal information and contact numbers and all of those sorts of things. It's And also the other big frustration I have with LinkedIn when I talk to LinkedIn is it's no different to our database. It's only as good as the information that somebody puts on. Sure. And I would say to, I say to them, I go, right, do you think people actively spend the time updating their LinkedIn profile? Do you think they really care? It's just another social media. And if I think that, I don't think, I can't remember when I've ever updated my Facebook profile from that first day <laughs> when I put my birthday in. People don't, some people who are really out there and want to communicate what they're doing will do that but that's not the vast majority so the information is already out of date it's already inaccurate there's so many different unknowns with it that for me LinkedIn is just a tool that's all it it's just one tool but it doesn't beat the personal relationships yeah I, I think it's all about that that people element of it and it speaking is. to people and um, I've got another question now linked to the LinkedIn piece on messaging Talk to me about ghosting in recruitment. So I've written so many posts on it because I get irate and I can't help myself. And I joke in the office that when I finish my days as a recruitment consultant, I'm naming and shaming every candidate and every player (laughs) who has ghosted me for one reason or another. And it happens on both sides. It happens everywhere. It happens everywhere. And I can't get my head around the effort to ghost somebody, ghost somebody, is harder than just confronting, just saying, sorry, I'm not interested. Or reply. Or reply. Yeah. It's more effort to ghost somebody. I, someone once ghosted me so much that I had to Google if they were dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a situation. I had a candidate. And funny, it links back to what, to what you're wearing. So um, she had done a presentation for a second interview face-to-face, asked me to read through it. So it's done, I'd physically seen it. She wanted me to proofread it for her. She then rang me up two days before. What do you think I should wear? Discussed it with her. She rang me the next day. Do you think I should wear this? And actually, I'm going to go for a blow dry. So I feel my best. That's another common thing. People go for a blow dry for an I have curly hair, never have a blow dry. But a lot of people go for a blow dry for an interview. I have never been for a blow dry for lots an interview. Of, lots I of did before, for before I had my planned cesarean <laughs> yeah. for my daughter, um, but not before an interview. Lots of, pe- lots of women go for a blow dry. It's so a good tip. Feeling their best, yeah. Um, and then she ran me again to check what she was wearing. She then didn't turn up for the interview. <gasps> oh no. But she'd, she'd done the work and she'd spoken, she'd rung me three times. She then ghosted me. She then, I, I, I was really worried. So my first messages were, has something happened? I'm worried because you're going and you haven't arrived. Are you okay? Has there been an accident or something? Then the next day I'm thinking, this is all a bit weird. I'm now thinking, do I have a home phone number for her? <laughs> and. You were in stalker mode by this point. I was in stalker mode. Full stop. I must have rung. I was ringing from my personal phone. I was ringing from somebody else's phone. She still wasn't answering. But the reality is, she changed her mind. I'm not going to... I won't hold anything against anybody. Just tell me. Yeah. Just tell me. It's best to be honest. Because actually, what you've now done with, with this whole ghosting is 
I've now got a perception of you. It's breaking the, the line trust, managers isn't it? now. That sorry, the clients now. The client will never touch you ever again. I don't ever have that. I just I don't hold a grudge in it because I can't because you're my product. So I'm not going to do that. But I will have a joke with you about it and say you're gonna are you going to ghost me again? <laughs> but you best to just just come clean. Can't get my head around the effort to not come clean. I, I think time is so precious, mm. and and you you just can't waste someone's time. And that, we we talk about always talk about being kind but I think there's that being polite mm. as well and, and showing people respect and yeah. that that no thanks for now or or just oh. any kind of reply is uh, is just so yeah. much better than ghosting exactly. I've written so many uh, so many posts on LinkedIn about it and loads of people like that people clients of mine have liked it who ghost people <laughs> and I know they haven't given me feedback or they've taken a month to come back on a candidate and I think what people really really forget in this industry around ghosting and I have done this for a really long time and candidates become clients who become candidates who become clients and it all is a never-ending circle. That at some point, you are a candidate. At some point in all of this. And so many people don't treat people how they would want to be treated as a, as a candidate. Because, it, oh, so when you're a candidate, you're expecting X, Y, Z. But when you're a client, you had a different, oh, you were really busy. Well, nothing's changed. You are still human beings. Still, please treat people with a bit of respect and honesty. I think integrity in, in anything you do in business mm. is so important. And and I, similar kind of thing. So I've been a supplier. I've been a retailer. Yeah. I've been a retailer <laughs> buying from the supplier that I have yeah. worked on, buying from people who I have worked for. That respect for the individual comes through. And when I train people who are retailers or suppliers mm. and some of the work I do at the moment, I always say to them, don't assume you're always going to be on this side of the table. Absolutely. And don't assume that the people you're working with now aren't the people that you might be needing something from mm. in the future on the other side of yeah. the table as well. So uh, above everything, kind of make sure that your your identity is one where you operate with respect. Yeah. And, and, and that is so powerful. And you never know when your paths are going to cross. It's out of your control. You might end up working, uh, you know, in roll the clock forward 15 years, that person might end up being your boss. Yeah. Absolutely. I then think we've all then what happened? We've all seen cases of yeah. that, haven't we? So in terms of um you, you've been through the interview, mm-hmm. how do you support people who don't get roles? Oh, it's the worst part of my job and I hate it. I really, really hate it. But I believe I tell people straight away. I and if they don't answer, I say it in the voicemail. I say, Look, I'm really sorry. You haven't been successful, but call me and I'll run through the feedback. Because I don't want to get their hopes up with me calling and then I'm like, oh. And people get frustrated with the amount of feedback that we sometimes have. I'm a firm believer that things happen for the right reason. And if you didn't get that job, it's not right for a reason. Now, it might be that company isn't, the company's right, but that actual role wouldn't have been the right role. Or it isn't the right time. Or you don't necessarily have some of the skills that they're looking for. Often I position it to candidates that... When you are, and again, I've put them back into when they've been recruiting somebody. Recruiting somebody is like buying something. You are measuring up the risk factors of that individual compared to other people. So you could be looking at four houses. There's different advantages and disadvantages of each house. And they're all at different budgets. And there's all those different criteria. And you weigh up that buying decision. The same thing happens when you're recruiting. It's human nature. You are comparing one person to another person on a whole different level of um, attributes and factors. And 
sometimes it is just that somebody else take more of the boxes or it could be someone else take more of the boxes but it isn't necessarily you did something wrong they just did something more right and it's a really hard pill to swallow but my advice is you you take you take a positive from it that you've met uh, that, that you've built in a relationship with somebody because you've or a company because you've been through a process you've had some feedback you know take that on board and you move on I like that. I like the fact that, you know, if it was a positive interview, but it just wasn't quite right. Actually, that that's just someone else, you know, in your network. And, mm-hmm. and it's someone that I don't think there's any harm in going back and saying, look, it was great to meet you. I really yeah. enjoyed it. Tell me about other opportunities in the Absolutely. future and just build, building out who, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I guess on the flip side, there are some really amazing calls that you can make when people get their jobs. And that feels oh, great. Great. And, you know. I always describe it that for anywhere between, I mean, some processes are ridiculously, ridiculously quick, but anywhere from two weeks to two months on average, I become really good friends with somebody. I have I have a new best friend <laughs> because I might speak to them, 20, like, I don't know, 20 times a week. We're arranging things, we're giving feedback, I'm helping them with prep, you know, and at that time, I, it's my personality. I can't help it. I want to get to know them. So I know everything that's going on in their life. I know where they've been at the weekend, what's happening with their kids. <laughs> I know everything. And then once they've got the job, it's almost like it's the it, it's the end because we don't have that purpose to speak to each other on a regular basis. Now, obviously, I do keep in touch with people, but there's no need to really talk to me. They don't need to talk to me anymore. And yes, and we're not really best friends, but for that period of time, we're both sharing everything. It's quite an emotional is, journey. Yeah, yeah. It's an emotional journey. So you get to, linking back to your question, you get to really understand the real reasons why somebody wants to move and what it's going to mean to them with this new role, whether it's around flexibility or salary or relocating to be with somebody who they want to be with or a whole host of the real reasons why people move jobs. And it might be unlocking a huge lifestyle change. Actually, that might be the key to something completely different for them. Or you ring them up and you say, you've got the job and you know how much it means to them and how much... It sounds so corny. How much of a difference it's going to make to their lives. And you and can that's tell. that's the bit that I... Oh, you get a proper rush of endomor- of endomorphins well, from our, it. Well, our listeners can't see it, but you're yeah. beaming now. Yeah. So you can tell the joy you yeah. get from it. This has been so useful. So before we close, tell us when you meet a client who might be using your services, mm-hmm. what makes you feel good? So you talked about the trouser suit at the beginning. What's your power outfit? Oh, my power outfit. I just go in something neutral and plain. Similar to what I'm wearing today, I'll probably wear all black. I'll feel smart, casual, but I'll feel professional and can hopefully strike the right balance. And does it differ with the client you meet or is there always a go-to uniform that you wear? Yeah, there's a a selection of go-to things that are really inoffensive, but nice. Weather, I can't bear being cold. So they are all too hot. But part so of well-dressed is dressing for the temperature. Dressing for the temperature. And my other thing, I, I will often go to London and be rushing around. And I, I, However much you plan, the, the, the trains and the tubes are out of your control. So invariably, I'm running. And I hate that. And it's the footwear. So I'll sometimes think, how am I taking a pair of trainers when I know I can't go into this meeting in trainers because I know I'm <laughs> going to be running from one thing to the next. So but but that's that, London life, I think. That's actually the handbag then as well. Because I'm often the in the same. So it needs a big enough handbag to fit in the shoes yes. without looking like you're carrying your life with exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's, that's a key I like criteria. That. And, and before we move into the lightning round, we've talked a, a lot about interviews. We've talked about uh, things that have resonated for me have been how can you in some way mirror the culture that you're going mm. into? How can you 
you understand to your point the true culture um, and how can you make sure that you you really want the job after the interview as well which I think is important have there been any takeaways for you I just think it's interesting I do this job all day long but it's very rare that I stop and really talk about it because you're so in it you're so in the the constant spinning plates so it's been nice to reflect on um on the questions that you've asked and made me really think about well actually what do I think about that brilliant oh right well we're going to go into the lightning round are you ready for that yeah okay (laughs) so first question we always ask and we've talked about it a bit but smart or casual 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 the trainer's girl Mm. so next question recruiting or being recruited recruiting recruiting and interviewing or being interviewed interviewing interviewing you I like know, I, I actually like both you like both i like both. you like you, to be you, in the hot you've, seat. In, you've interviewed me <laughs> you know do you have you've mentioned you like wearing all black do you have a theme song for your wardrobe um i do have a lot of color in my wardrobe as well and a lot of neutrals um you know i really struggled with this but i decided that i was going to pick a george a george michael song okay only because just put me i don't know it came on so i put two down i put fast love and i put too funky too funky i love it i love it and finally today sitting here with me are you stressed or well dressed very well dressed absolutely (laughs) gabby it's been brilliant we've we've learned so much and i think you've offered some really good advice for people thinking about next step in their career and finding the right fit Mm. for them as well that's going to take them forward thank you for coming on stress but well dressed thank you for having me you're welcome